Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And for Psalm 134, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Good morning. One of the things that scripture teaches us, by the way, thanks children for being here. This is the last Sunday there will be with us. So have a great Sunday school class. It's been great having you all with us this summer. One of the great gifts of the Spirit, one of the great blessings the Lord has poured on us is described this way in the scriptures, that the kingdom has come. It's here. It's present among us. The kingdom of God has already shown up. It's already here to some degree, not fully, but partially here. And so one of the tensions we feel is that we live in the already, but not yet. As believers on earth, we we're experiencing a taste of heaven, but we're looking forward to the great feast that is to come. Jesus is Lord, but he has not fully manifested his lordship over this earth, right? Uh, there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of destruction, a lot of harm that people do to one another. And so there is this not yet, this waiting until Jesus establishes the new heavens and the new earth. When he comes and sets up his kingdom fully manifested on earth, and then we will rejoice. So we long in the meantime for him to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. So we know, according to our theology, that the kingdom is already here to some degree. But what does that mean? How are we to experience the kingdom of God now? That's our question we're addressing this morning. Now, some believers, I think too many, have felt like, well, I look at this world and it is a mess. (laughs) It's unredeemable. So I don't see the kingdom of God here. So I'm just going to try to survive and just wait for Jesus to come back. And I think many of us as Christians live that way. On the other extreme are those who, especially of the health and wealth gospel teachings, those kinds of things, that false gospel, they've taught that essentially we should be experiencing the fullness of heaven now. And what they teach is that if you're experiencing anything that's not of heaven, then it's your fault. You don't have enough faith. If you're experiencing sickness, if you're suffering in any way, if you're experiencing pain and depression and guilt and struggle in your life, then somehow you just don't have enough faith because you should be experiencing the fullness of heaven today. Brothers and sisters, that is false teaching. That is clearly not biblical. That's not what God has told us. Now, God can't intervene and heal. That's true. But that is not the norm. 
But if, if that's not the norm, if that's false, then what does it mean to have a taste of heaven today? What, what is the appetizer, so to speak, that Jesus lays on our plate here on earth as a foretaste of the great feast we're going to have in heaven when there truly will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more struggle? What we look forward to. What is that appetizer we'll get, we get now? Well, I believe these last two psalms in the Psalm of Ascent What Stephanie just read to us will help us understand what that taste of heaven is meant to be today. Pray with me. Lord, it's hard for us to live in this already but not yet. We we experience a taste of heaven but not the fullness. But even in that, we're confused. Lord, what does it mean? We ask that you, by your Spirit, would help us understand that that you'd open our eyes to understand what it means that we can live out today of the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want a word that I think summarizes what we can experience today, it's the word oneness. Oneness. First, in Psalm 133, I believe what he shows us as they gather together to worship is we have... Oneness with other believers, Psalm 133. Now, today is our last day of the Psalms of Ascent. We've been on this journey all through the summer. I'm, I'm going to miss the Psalms because they've been so uh, poignant and to the heart. And we've, we've made this journey through all kinds of difficulties and struggles and canyons. And we've talked about what it means to continue journeying in this life towards God and towards his presence. And these were songs of ascent that were sung by the Israelite pilgrims as they traveled to Jerusalem from all over Israel and outside Israel to come to the three great feasts every year. And they would come and they would gather and they would meet on the road and share sweet fellowship as they all headed in the same direction. But in these last two Psalms of the Psalm of Ascent, I believe they've arrived. (laughs) They are standing in the temple together in the temple courts, and they are here to celebrate God and his goodness. And as they sing these last two psalms of ascent, they celebrate these two incredible gifts of God, oneness with one another and oneness with God himself. Think about what it would have been like to have traveled for weeks, perhaps, maybe even months from other countries, And they all come together, meet on the road, and finally they're all standing in the temple together. Three times a year is all that they get to experience this. And as they come together, they all came with one purpose, with one goal, and that is to come worship God together. And there's something wonderful about that oneness of having a shared purpose. I hope hope you've experienced that on on a deep spiritual level. We were talking in staff this week in the pastoral staff about what it's like, for example, to be on a missions trip together. And you spend months preparing and building relationships and getting to know each other in a more profound way and see how God works and see the giftedness of one another. And your lives are shared. There's a community there. And you're all coming around one purpose, which is to go on this mission trip to share the gospel, to share music, whatever it might be. There's a community that's built there, a oneness, A shared life, shared trials, shared ministry, shared joys. 
I like the way Paul describes it in Philippians chapter 1 as he's talking about the kind of shared life that we all have together as believers. As he says in chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians, he writes to them, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Every believer can have that kind of oneness, that shared spirit, one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel because we have one great purpose, and that's to glorify our Lord together. What makes us one? What is it that unites us, though? Um, is it just that we're, we're headed in the same direction, we have a common purpose? I think Scripture teaches that it goes a lot deeper than that. You see, we all share the life of the Spirit, right? Everyone who accepts Christ and is a believer in Jesus Christ shares the life of the Spirit. And therefore, that's why in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, he says, Be diligent to preserve the oneness, to preserve the oneness you have in Christ. And then he goes on to talk about it comes by one Spirit. It comes through one Lord. It comes through one God and Father overall. You see, that, that unity comes because of our faith in Christ. It's just a reminder to us, brothers and sisters, that we have a shared humanity with others who are unbelievers. We may come from the same town. We may be of the same race. We may have a common purpose. We may belong to the same club. We may have gone to the same school. And there's a common humanity that we share with unbelievers. But... The unity we share in Christ goes far deeper. It's the very life of God that bonds us together, one heart in him. It's his life in us. So we can't ever be one at that kind of level with someone who does not know Christ and trust in him as Lord and Savior. This depth of oneness is not just a shared humanity. It's our very core of our life. So how is this lived out then? If, we, if we're one on a deep level, what does it look like for us? Well, Philippians 2, I think, gives us a good picture of that. Of course, Philippians is a wonderful book about unity. If you want to study more about unity, it's great. And in Philippians 2, verse 1 and following, it says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, and of course he's thinking, of course there are. God has bonded us together. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. See, when the Spirit starts working in our lives and bonding us together, we're one in Christ. What does he lead us to do? He leads us to set aside our own rights, to put others first, to care for them more than ourselves, to be of one spirit, it says, with one mind, together, putting others above ourselves. Uh, I think a great picture of that, again, is in the book of Acts. As God brought many people to Christ, and these were 
in the city of Jerusalem, they'd gathered together for the feast and they'd come together. And now all of a sudden, many are coming to Christ and they're from different countries, different backgrounds, all kinds of people. And this is how they lived it out. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. So the shared life of the Spirit moved people to say, wow, there's somebody in need. There's somebody in need. I've got something I can sell. I've got something I can share. Here, let's share this together. And they broke bread together from house to house, and they fed each other, cared for each other, sold their things to bless other people. Wonderful picture of living out this oneness. And I don't know about you, but I read that, and I go, we've lost some of that. In our individualistic world here in America, in the West, we have our own stuff. (laughs) We're so concerned about maintaining and taking care of our own little kind of world and empire that I think we're missing out on some of the joys of oneness. I agree it's not easy, but it's a wonderful thing to begin to share your possessions and see that they're not really yours, they're the Lord's, and we can share them. That's part of oneness being lived out, is this kind of shared life where we learn to share everything with one another. Why is this oneness a taste of heaven? If this is the kingdom of God come to earth, where we begin to, to care for others in a deeper way, and there's a deeper kind of oneness that we're beginning to live out, why is that a taste of heaven? Well, one reason is because the world doesn't understand this at all. Think about what our world is like. People try to get along, right? <laughs> they make pacts. They, they make agreements. They try to get along either as individuals or as countries, nations, neighborhoods, whatever it might be. And yet we continue, continually fall into dissension and conflict and struggle and difficulty It's been that way since the beginning of sin, the entrance of sin into the world, right? Adam and Eve, they got along great with God and with one another until they sinned. And then they're hiding from one another and they're ashamed and they're afraid. And their own two sons fought and Cain kills Abel. And the testimony of scriptures all the way through is there's conflict and division and battle. And this is this is the very work of the flesh, people who don't know have the spirit. This is how they live it out. The works of the flesh or dissension and division and demandingness and selfishness and all those things that drive our world. The world is racked with wars and fights and racism and division after division. But yet people long for oneness that they're looking for some way to be able to get along. Brothers and sisters, the only place that happens and the reason it's a taste of heaven is is because it can only happen when the Spirit invades our lives and supernaturally we begin to care for others more than ourselves. I'm struck by this thirst in our world for, for unity, for oneness, and yet people can't seem to find it. Even our social media is a picture of that. As people 
put out information about themselves on Facebook and Twitter and so many other ways of doing that now, longing for somebody to just connect with. And yet it's no real connection. It's no real relationship. There's, there's division there. Little re- real contact. So why is it a taste of heaven? Because the world, it's not here. It's not in the world. You can't find it here. That kind of real oneness and care for one another. But secondly, it's a taste of heaven because who God is is a triunity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we become one with one another, we are exemplifying to the world who God is. He's, he's a triunity. There's oneness between the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. They love one another, and His unified character is needed in this divided world. So God helps us to love Others love one another so that the world can see a picture of who God is, one who brings together, who is one. So when we learn to overlook the differences between us and care for one another, even though we're of different races and different backgrounds and different personalities and all that, and we learn to love one another, we reflect the very character of God to others. This psalm gives us a couple of word pictures. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's good and pleasant, he says, to have oil poured all of you so it just runs down onto the floor. Sounds pretty pleasant, huh? (laughs) He says it's good. It's in line with God's design. It's pleasant when we dwell as one. It's right. It feels good. And he, he, drives this, he describes this picture of the oil being poured on. Now, Aaron, as the high priest, when he was anointed for his position, he was anointed with a little bit of oil, and that would consecrate him, set him aside to be the high priest. But what the psalmist is describing here is something really different than that, where the oil is poured down, and it runs down his beard, and it runs down his robe all the way to the ground, and it's fragrant. He says it's precious. There's something wonderful about it. It's of great value to God. And it comes down from above. Notice it says the oil comes from above and it comes down on his beard and down on his robes. To me, I think the picture that the psalmist is giving is that this uh, blessing of oneness we have with one another is supernatural. It comes from God himself comes down from above. It's the gift of God. It's organic. It can't be manufactured. It's not something we produce. It's not something we make happen. You know, it's not like forming, let's form an ecumenical council and make sure we get along with everybody and set certain rules. And if we just do certain things, then we can all get along as believers. It's never worked, has it? But when it's organic, when it's something that's the gift of God, Preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 3. Notice what he says there. Preserve the unity of the Spirit. It isn't something, he says, to make happen or to manufacture. It's something that comes down from above. It is a gift of God. And then it's fragrant. It's this oil mixture, oil and different spices, frankincense and myrrh. And the whole room would be filled with it. And that's 
the picture I think the psalmist is saying is that when we love each other, when you and I learn to set aside our differences and really care for one another and meet one another's needs and put one another first, that the world around us is impacted. The unbelieving world even. And it impacts many others in a powerful, powerful way. I've told the story before, but I think it's worth retelling of the little church I started going to when I first came to Christ when I was 17 in Oregon, in Burns, where I grew up. It was Heinz Baptist Church, which had split off from First Baptist Church of Burns. And if you've been through Burns and Heinz, it's a small community, two little communities, but two elders at First Baptist Church had gotten in a fight, couldn't get along, and so a number split off and said, we're going to start our own church, Heinz Baptist Church. So that's the one I went to, and I was discipled there and eventually went off to college. And and I came back one time, and I was talking to the pastor, and he said, something amazing happened. I said, what? What happened? He said, well, you know, these guys have been fighting for a long time, two men in particular. And we were getting together to try to do some cooperative stuff between the two churches, but it wasn't going very well, and, you know, I just thought, this is never going to happen that we can even cooperate. And then he said, and I looked up, though, and the two guys that had had the main conflict were outside. And I was watching them, and they were talking and dialoguing, and then I saw them embrace each other with a deep, meaningful hug. And then I knew God was doing something. Well, those two churches began to work it out together. They decided to reunite How often do you hear about that? They sold the two church buildings, and right on the border between the two little towns of Burns and Hines, they built Faith Baptist Church. A few years later, I spent two years pastoring at that church. And it's not a perfect church by any means, probably worse since I was there, maybe, or because I was there, I don't know. but (laughs) But that church has had a real impact in the community. The oil poured down on on the robes, the fragrance going forth. When we learn to dwell in unity and forgive and set aside our differences, God pours out his blessing and it impacts entire communities. When we as believers can say, I'm not going to demand my rights. I'm going to learn to forgive. I am going to learn to live out oneness, to preserve the bond of the spirit. And I think we need to ask ourselves just, Right now, I I want you to ask in your own heart, is there somebody I need to forgive? Another believer that I've held a grudge against? Something I've hung on to that I've allowed to divide me and someone else. And that's harming the body of Christ. I, I could be living out the new kingdom of God on earth, this oneness that is supernatural, but I've I've decided to let this divide us. Let's let it go, brothers and sisters. Let's forgive so that we can experience this incredible blessing. And he goes on to the next word picture. He says in verse 3, It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Now, Mount Hermon is way in the north, over 9,000 feet tall. It's always got moisture on it year-round. The dew is very heavy on it year-round. Mount Zion is further south, much further south. It's not as high. It's about 2,600 feet. 
high, and it's often there is no dew. But he says when we dwell as one, it's, it's like the dew of Mount Hermon has been poured out on Zion where the people are gathered. When the people of God get along, there's the blessing of God, the life of God poured out from above. Again, it's supernatural. It, it's life-changing. It does amazing things when we preserve that unity. And notice what he says. I love this last phrase. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. That's a taste of eternal life. And when we choose to set aside our difference and live out our oneness, we are experiencing eternal life now. A taste, an appetizer. It's not the fullness. Heaven's going to be far greater in our oneness with one another, but we can have a taste of it now. It's amazing. As Jesus prayed, John 17, verse 20 and 21, he says, I don't pray for these alone. He's been praying for the disciples. Now he prays for us. I'm not praying for these alone, but for those who will come to believe through their word, the word of the disciples, that's us. We've come to believe through the word of the disciples that they may be one, even as we are one, Father. As Jesus is one with the Father, he prays, oh, the most important thing. This was his final prayer before he went to the cross for us, for you and for me, is that we might live out this oneness and have a taste of heaven now on earth as we learn to love each other. When we learn to let go of the barriers that divide us, the natural things that tend to divide us. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 and 28 talks about the oneness we experience where in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Why does he mention those particular three things in Christ? Well, you know, Jew or Gentile, different races, different religious backgrounds, whatever your background is, that, that we can be one in Christ. We, those barriers don't divide us anymore. Slave or free, economic differences shouldn't make any difference. We can have just as sweet a fellowship with someone who's poor or rich or whomever if we're in Christ. And male and female, it doesn't mean there aren't differences between males and females. Of course there are, but they no longer have to divide us. We don't have to treat each other in some ways and let these walls come up between us, but we can have sweet fellowship with one another of different genders. He's just using these as representative that no barrier has to divide us in Christ. We are one. So as we learn to forgive one another and forbear with one another, put up with one another, yeah, we're, we're in a community of sinners. Amen. That means we have to put up with one another. But as we learn to do that and not let anything divide us and forgive, we're having a taste of what God wants us to have of heaven on earth. The, the second kind of oneness is in the next psalm, the last psalm of the sense. And it's oneness with God himself. Brothers and sisters, this is incredibly an, an incredible miracle for us that the creator of the universe, God himself, who created everything, who dwells in unapproachable light, that he would want us to be one with him. And so he sent Jesus to become one of us, to walk here and show that all those barriers of sin and brokenness 
and selfishness could be torn down and that we could be one with him. That is a taste of heaven because what will heaven be like? Perfect fellowship with one another and perfect intimacy with God himself. And so we can experience those things now. So the psalmist says, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord? How can you and I bless the God creator of the universe? We know how he blesses us. He gives us all kinds of blessings. Spiritual blessings, physical blessings, so many ways he cares for us. But how can we bless someone who needs nothing? Well, the commentator Derek Kidner put it this way. To bless God is to acknowledge gratefully what he is. But to bless man, God must make of us what we are not and give us what we have not. So the psalm is a great encouragement to do two things. One is to gratefully acknowledge who God is. You are awesome. Bless the Lord. You're, you're incredible. And, and to think about his attributes, his faithfulness, his love, his care, his mercy, his goodness, and on and on and on is revealed in Jesus and in the scriptures. And secondly, to serve him with all that we are, I think, is what we're encouraged to do. With all that we are. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary, it says. Now, I think that's talking about more than just raising your hands in worship, okay? I think it means using all that we are to serve God day by day. But I think it does refer to when we gather in worship. It says, lift your hands in the sanctuary. I think it's really saying, use all that you are to worship the Lord. Now, let me give an aside. You know, as we're thinking about lifting hands as we gather in worship, some of you that's easy for, some it seems very uncomfortable. Many of us, myself included, came from traditions where that's weird. <laughs> you don't raise your hands. You don't get physically involved in worship. But it was common in biblical worship. It's talked about. I will lift my hands over and over again in the Psalms and in other places of worship. And so as I've sort of thought about this and experimented with that personally, I've found that it helps me to bodily worship and exalt God when I engage myself, when I, when I do raise my hands as an act of, of exalting him and of submission to him to physically be involved in worship. And if it's hard for you, you know, you might begin with just this. And then so, you know, kind of work your way up. That's okay. It's not a requirement, right? I, I, I'm just telling you my experience and encouraging us to engage ourselves in worship. That's a good thing, okay? All that we are to be engaged. And then notice verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. There's something about when we bless him, when we honor him, when we express our oneness to him, gathered together as a community, but even one-on-one when we're just alone with God, during the day when you pray to God, when you, when you live out oneness with God, a relationship with him, a living relationship with God, he blesses it. The Lord pours out his presence, his blessing to you, and he delights 
in it. So this psalm is a wonderful ending to our journey toward God. It's a chance to worship him with all that we are together in corporate worship and with all that we are all week long. I want to close with an illustration. Adrienne put me onto this, but uh, it's an amazing picture to me, I think, of all that we've talked about this morning. This was from uh, NPR News Flash a couple years ago. Lifting voices together in praise can be a transcendent experience, unifying a congregation in a way that's somehow both fervent and soothing. God pours out his blessing, his presence. But is there actually a physical basis for those feelings? To find out, researchers of the Salgrensa Academy at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden studied the heart rates of high school choir members as they joined their voices to sing a hymn to God. Using pulse monitors attached to the singer's ears, the researchers measured the changes in the choir members' heart rates as they navigated the intricate harmonies of a Swedish hymn. When the choir began to sing, their heart rates slowed down. But what really struck him was that it took almost no time at all for the singer's heart rates to become synchronized. The readout from the pulse monitor started as a jumble of jagged lines, but quickly becomes a series of uniform peaks. The heart rates fall into a shared rhythm guided by the song's tempo. I don't understand that, right? (laughs) But what a picture for us of when we gather in worship, when we are living out oneness in Christ, living out our forgiveness, and we're learning to praise God as a community together, that our hearts are synchronized, our hearts are joined with him and with one another in a way that is incredibly supernatural. Wow. So as we close the psalm, Psalms of Ascents, may we be a people who are living out our oneness, forgiving one another, caring for one another, learning to do it, have people in our home and share our possessions. And as we live out that oneness, may we also live out our oneness with God because these places, oneness with one another and oneness with God, is how heaven has invaded earth already. Let's pray. Lord, what, what a great series this has been as we've walked and journeyed toward you and into your very presence. And these great gifts you've given us of oneness with one another and and able to have a relationship with you and be one with you, Lord, may we not let the distractions of life on earth keep us from being one with you. Let, Let us not get caught up in everyday mundane things in a way that keeps us from loving one another and spending time with you and praying to you and living out our oneness with you. But may we live those out in a way that the world is impacted as they smell the sweet fragrance of your life being lived out through the community of faith, through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.